the real episode 322 of the sleeper and the butt. I accidentally called the last one 322. It is Wednesday, April 13th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, what's going on? Sadness, intense, intense sadness. I think I know also, why. Also, I I... Uh, very intense tiredness, so good good combo. We'll really remedy good. one of those shortly after this, because you'll be able to take a quick nap and get, get recharged. I can't fix the Mets' offense for you, though. That's <laughs> what's driving the sadness. So, um, You know, the worst part is that I've never been a ta- – oh, that, now you take him out, Terry Collins. Oh, my God. So, Terry – I've never been a Terry Collins fan. Okay. And I just think of him as old school in a way that, you know, he's so not Joe Madden. He's not – you know, he's not uh, – he's not new school. He's very much old school. He's a yeller, you know. And so, I, you know, and it's not even have anything to do with really and until this moment. I haven't been as mad about his choices with the lineup and stuff. But basically coming out and saying that Conforto is the odd man out more often than not when Conforto is one of the better hitters in this lineup right now, or, you know, and, and one with the most upside with an offense that needs some upside. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, bringing Jim Henderson out, you know, after he pitched a lot of pitches yesterday, coming off a of shoulder surgery, Jim Henderson's throwing 90. He can't crack 91. And he waits until he loads the bases to take him out. What, what are you running him into the ground for? Like you said, you got a guy who you're trying to rebuild, you know, get get something out of because he was a scrap heap guy. He's been looking pretty good early, at least with, with uh, swing and miss stuff. I know he's got some walks on the ledger, even coming in today, to today, a couple walks and I think three innings of work, but seven strikeouts looking good. And and what are you doing? You're trying to beat him into the ground here? I, I just, I, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. So he walks two, gives up a hit, doesn't get a single out. Now the bases are loaded with, um, let's see, looks like. Oh, it looks like that's going to be the pitcher spot. So this could be it for Conley, unfortunately. Yeah, but, I mean, it, good for Conley to, to maybe get the win here. But um, uh, and, and, and great for us, too, because the two of us have liked Conley. Big, and, big fans. Uh, and I wasn't dissuaded after that first start. It was it was some ugly circumstances or, or some ugly weather in Washington, for one, really windy and cold. But not, not even that. It just... He didn't pitch great. That's fine, though. It's just it's just a start. So I, I didn't cut him. I know he's the type of guy who you draft late, like an, an Adam Conley, and he has that first bad start, and I guarantee a lot of people rushed to cut him. And that's that's a mistake you can't make. You can't judge a guy off of one start, let alone one inning, and that's all he finished. And then today we see Conley going out there and just cutting up your Mets. Six innings, four hits, one walk, nine strikeouts, and again, likely done here because – um, actually, it might be Miguel Rojas bats first, but then Conley's on deck. So either way, unless there's a triple play, he ain't coming out, or he's coming out. Yeah, and 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 Henderson, I just just spotting spotting now that was his worst, uh, his most pitches thrown ever in an appearance was his last <laughs> time out. <laughs> and you know, I guess there's got to be some. I love Dan Horton, the the pitching coach in, in New York and Absolutely. he teaches a, a, a crazy brand of a slider that, that's great and we've seen the 93 mile an hour Thor slider and Harvey slider came from Worthen and DeGrom slider came from Worthen so you know he's a great pitching coach but today he should have been out there he should have been on the top step saying what is 91 get him out of there so I don't know what they're waiting for anyway um, nice to see our boy Conley Conley was 92 plus today 
couple 93s out there. That was that was sort of what we were talking about, him getting the velocity back after a, a year off of Tommy John surgery. Basically, this is his second year back. And, um, you know, getting back that touch. He's always been a touch-and-command guy with a, with a good fastball and a good change-up. So now he's getting that back after the surgery. And, uh, you know, I think the breaking ball is good enough. I've seen other people say it's not, but it's got good results so far. It looks good enough for me. And really, that breaking ball is mostly for lefties. Exactly. And, you know, people are not going to stack him with lefties, you know, until, you know, for the few, first couple of years at least. You know, not until he shows an established reverse platoon split. So I think for the most part, he's going to be fine. He's going to he's going to have, uh, you know, just enough with that breaking ball. And, you know, curves, I think I'm beginning to think I might build a, a guy with a fastball curve because curves run the gamut from for well, that's um, the thing that can be so different. Now, he, yeah. he gets he gets classified for a splitter or excuse me, a, a slider does Conley. But the thing with breaking balls, the point that you're probably getting at here is is that they can be so varied. And, you know, if you have that curveball, that can be the platoon buster, too. Think about somebody like A.J. Burnett. That's all he had was fastball curveball. And he didn't really ha- have those many that many struggles in Pittsburgh. No, I just I just lost my mind there for a second. Yeah, he, he's a fastball change guy. I know that. But this, the sliders, the slider's good enough. You're I, think, right. I think it is good enough. I, I totally I, agree. Watching these athletics enough, I'm beginning to think that a fastball curve is a nice way to start because, you know, the athletics teach the changeup to everybody in the minor leagues coming up because they want good changeups and, you know, they, 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 they believe in changeups. But if you look at the guys they acquire, none of them have good changeups. Rich Hill, Sonny, I mean, even Sonny Gray coming up through their own organization. That was a question uh, for him, yeah. Jesse Hahn, uh, Chris Bassett. I mean, they, they will take your fastball curve guy and, and figure the rest out. The I think. Yeah, either add the change or add the cutter. Yeah. And, you know, Bassett, I think the change has not improved. But I thought, you know, here's a guy with more velocity, a little bit like Conley. He's he's now 94 instead of 92. And um, and, and he's got the good curveball. And can that slider take a step forward? And I, I think it is. So, you know, these aren't guys that aren't probably going to turn into aces because, you know, Maybe they're plus pitches and plus enough. And, and it's actually, if you think about it, starters with a plus-plus curveball that have made it happen at, on the ace-type level I think are rarer because um, the the curveball, the average whiff rate on a curveball is 11%. So, you know, it's it's not a pitch that you actually use a ton for whiffs. It's more of a pitch you use for grounders, called strikes. Um, you know, it's a... To that point, Bassett, not much of a strikeout guy, only 14% this year, 17% for his career. But the ground ball rate has continued to spike for him. He's only got a couple of small samples. All three of Chris Bassett's seasons have been small samples, but from 40 to 45, and then early this year, two starts in, 53. So that ground ball is keeping keeping the ball down, or that curveball is keeping the ball down, giving him some easier outs, and really helping him escape some of his walk issues that he's been having this year for Chris Bassett. Yeah, and decent platoon splits. I mean, the big roundhouse curve has reverse platoon splits, just like a mm-hmm. changeup. So there are there are ways to there are ways to make a curve work, and uh, you just watch Sonny Gray go to work. I mean, he, he Sonny Gray's a beast. I mean, he, he has he's so good. Like, he either has one breaking ball or he has twenty, and he's making stuff up on the mound. But you know, you start with ninety three, good command and a good breaking ball. I think you can get somewhere these days, especially if the breaking ball is big, if you've got a, a, a good big curveball. I mean, Nicasio, I think, is interesting. 
and you know my ranks my, not my ranks but I did like a sort of omnibus about pitching and I talked about Nicasio and I said it was before the bad start and I said well what I don't like is he loses three ticks by the end of the at the end of the game you know he does start at 97 so 94 is still pretty good but that that um, is basically what the only thing that you can say bad about Rysel Iglesias so, uh, and, and that's why people thought Rysel Iglesias was going to end up as a reliever. So it's basically reliever-type velocity retention, A. And then B, his changeup is still terrible by all ways you can look at it. Mm-hmm. And for Nicasio. Yeah, for Nicasio. He only threw like five of them. Yeah, so, he's not going to. He really is trying to be fastball slider. He's trying to be kind of that two-pitch success. But again, when it was Burnett, who, it was the curve, which, as you're saying, was, was better for those uh, well, platoon splits. Who's a fastball slider guy? The, the real, Jason re- Hamill? Yeah, they're relievers, really. Yeah, and Jason Hamill, who they take out in like the fifth inning and the fourth inning. Mm-hmm. Hanson I mean, Robles, that's... two strikeouts, by the way, to, to yeah, maybe Mike snuff this out here. But, but uh, you know, I think I, I, fastball curve, I'm, I'm much more likely to listen and, and see if we can figure out a way out. Fastball slider, Nicasio, he's a sell for me. He's just... I just uh, I don't think he's gonna have either, and also I don't know if he has the innings to to keep doing this even the four or five inning stints uh, eight, late into the year. So I still like that strikeout upside in the in the velocity though. I think it is good velocity, mostly built actually. He only got three whiffs on for thirty sliders, so it's actually the the whiffs that he's getting are are, are built on that fastball. Yeah, that that heat is what's going to drive him. Definitely going to see some ups and downs with Nicasio. One thing that I mentioned, I, I did kind of a report card on the uh, reclamation projects that's been under Ray Searage for for the Pirates, and you know, like I, I keep mentioning uh, AJ Burnett because he was a two pitch guy. Again, the the difference being that curve versus the slider is huge, but yeah. some like when it's on and it's only been in flashes, particularly in that first start for Nicasio, it looked like it could work against lefties um, when he was when he was pitching against St. Louis. I'm not too dissuaded by by the rough start in Detroit. Detroit's obviously the best team in the league by I don't know ten standard deviations at least. Um, if you can't tell, I'm joking. Get real, but no, that's a tough lineup. So I'm not that I'm not freaking out just yet on that. I wouldn't sell them yet because I don't want to sell on that low note. But to your to your credit, you were saying sell after St. Louis anyway. So if you sold in that six day five day window, good on you. But if you didn't, just sit tight with Nicasio, let him have another couple good starts, um, and then if you want to jump out, that's fine. But obviously, don't sell now. You'll get you'll get virtually nothing. Um, anyway, we wanted to talk a little bit about that that Mets game because it was going on as a good jumping off point to talk about Conley and and give you know a chance to rant about the Mets. But uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Spore at Eno Stairs at Jason Collette. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Appreciate everything uh, that you guys have been doing for that. They've been skyrocketing, and we love that. That's how we move up in the rankings. There, we're gonna talk a little bit of no uh, notes. There, I almost said notes and news together, so it was almost nose. Uh, a couple of injury issues, just some quirks of, of or not quirks, just some performances that kind of jumped out. A couple that were talking positive. One that blew my mind and you can probably guess what it was on shark and coors are you kidding me and then the strategy section we talked last week that we were or last time out monday we were going to do this but we got a little bit too lengthy with the uh the hot hitters uh who were buying who we were selling so we're doing that today and it's when is it enough to buy a pitcher 
without too much of a track record? And when are you looking to sell on a guy who does have an established track record but is deviating from it? So just kind of a general discussion about how these small samples play and what you're looking for, if you know how you can monitor things because there's changes that you can monitor. They're not necessarily, you know, done set in stone obviously we know that sample sizes take a while to solidify but you can't sit around and just wait for stabilization points it's just that's just not the fantasy game that we play in today and then we're also going to get into the mailbag for a couple of questions as well including one about the best pitcher in the universe thor but let's first talk some injury news Eno, glenn perkins to the dl it's going really poorly in minnesota right now just Top to bottom, things are not going well with them. So, of course, why not throw into the mix some injuries? They lose their their closer. Two obvious candidates jump out. And I unfortunately, I think that the lesser of the two probably has the, the edge here. And it's Kevin Jepsen and Trevor May. Here's the thing. We've been talking about this all, all year already, about how some teams um, are, are keen to keeping their best reliever for that those seventh eighth inning fires which can be the hottest for example this one in the Mets game here uh, it wouldn't have been a bad idea now Hunter Robles is is, is pretty good but it w- I wouldn't have killed uh, Collins if he'd have brought in Familia but obviously that's not how he operates he goes by the the strict innings rules I think Minnesota might be open to kind of keeping May as that multi inning guy because he can be really useful there they don't have a great rotation um, so you think. Jepson gets the job, or can May jump him? Yeah, I think it was good for you to point out that multi-inning thing. I think that's that's really the wrench that's being thrown in here because Jepson has been used ahead of May uh, earlier in the season, and he he blew his games more spectacularly. May, May's given up some runs, but Jepson's been not so great. And I, it looks to me when I, like reading between the tea leaves because you need a, a win to really know what, what what's that's, going that's on. That's there. a good point. <laughs> we're, 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 we're always speculating when it comes to bullpens. We're super speculating here because they've never even had a standard win to, to kind of ch- judge the pattern. But they've had some tight games, and you know you usually use your better pitchers, you use your more standard situation and tight games too. And recently, May's been pitching. In, in tight games, late in tight games. So, you know, when you, my other markers that you guys are all, y'all know all about them. Velocity is actually about a dead even tie, 94 miles an hour, basically for the two of them uh, with May, with May coming out of the pen and uh, strikeout rate. You know, it looks, I mean, Jefferson has, has a better career strikeout rate, but May's numbers are all, you know, messed up because he was in the rotation and, you know, this year he's been striking more guys out than Jepson, but it's a pretty small sample. So uh, I forgot we banned that. So anyway, that's uh, right. We banned it. If you missed Monday's episode, we're not <laughs> going to remind you anymore about it. I think I've even said it already once. We're we're learning as well, but it's understood. So let's 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 all understand that. <laughs> Any case, you know, he he could have more strikeout upside. I kind of like him better. I like Jepson. I've always liked Jepson, but I I kind of like May. Like if if arbitration wasn't an issue and and if we didn't have to you know discuss this idea that oh maybe not maybe he can't close or you know maybe you know he doesn't have the mindset or whatever, um, I would take May because I I think he's pretty pretty nasty out of the pen. But uh, they have been using him in those two inning stints because he's more stretched out, and so they can use him to to soak up more innings in the in the in the uh, 
in the bullpen. So I, in the middle I, I innings, that, yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of that kind of suggests that Jepsen will get the first shot, even though I first my first instinct was May, and my first responses on Twitter and stuff were May. I, I kind of feel like maybe it's Jepsen. I think we want May, and and sometimes I'm I'm guilty of this for sure. The Giles thing, yeah. I basically ignored the the Gregerson lingering. I was so arrogant about it, just like oh they traded all that uh, that big load for Giles. They're gonna use him, blah blah blah. You know, I've been a little bit like that with my Hunter Strickland love. Even though I understand that you know Romo is very likely to to get that first crack if if something happens with Casilla and also the fact that Casilla was really good last year so there's really no no guarantees either way there so trying to be better about that and and acknowledge the situation isn't always going to go the way I want it and I do think Jepson gets the first shot what kind of fab are you spending let's say you've either got Perk or you really need saves you you um, you had Drew Storen and you lost him. Or uh, who's another guy? Maybe Doolittle is a little bit shaky and you're a little bit nervous about him being one of your guys. Let's just say saves are a legitimate need for you, not just a luxury item where you're getting your third or fourth closer. What kind of uh, what kind of amount of your budget are you spending? And additional question, would you also throw in a cursory bid on May to maybe get both of them, assuming you had the roster spots? Yeah, I mean, it's... You know that's sort of a deep league approach, I think, to try and get both, because to have two roster spots in like a twelve or fifteen team or for a crappy team's closer, yeah, it's pro- that's probably a terrible idea. Let's let's scrap that. Just go with well, the. I'm just saying that in the deep league, in the deep league, one or both are gone. So, um, I mean, I mean, yeah, if they're if you're in a deep league and both are out there, and you were speculating in some other bullpen, um, you you could uh, do something like drop Liam Hendricks for May. And drop uh, even a Sam Dyson, I think, for Kevin Jepsen. Just what about because... Madsen, though? What about Madsen, who's closer? Would you drop him for one of those guys? I don't think I would. I don't think, I think... so either. As much as I love Doolittle, and again, this is you know the question of rooting and and who we think is the better pitcher. As much as I love Doolittle, he is yanking pitches. I don't know what is going on with his command. A little bit shaky. Yep. The two. It's not the velocity, and it's not the the pitches. I mean, the, the splitter looks good. No, no. It, it, it's, the stuff is 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 there and looks really good for Doolittle, but just having some having some command issues early here. Big big homer yesterday for the down. Giovanni Soto of all people to like deep center in Oakland. That was a bummer and a half. Jimmy Rollins. It's like his only hit on the year. Yeah, those so. those are the two guys. Jimmy Rollins and Giovanni Soto. Is this two thousand eight? What the freak, man? Yeah, Come and John. He's yanking them down too. He's not you know, usually when he misses, he misses up and away, which is safe. So, um, you know, missing down and in is no good. I uh, I would I would hold on to Madsen. He already has two saves, and you know he's he's the velocity looks okay, and you know yeah they, has, they said they're going to do matchups, but yeah, they've so. got the righty lefty thing working. So would you go fifteen percent maybe for Jepsen, like a fifteen dollar bid out of a hundred? Obviously, people don't have a hundred anymore, so I guess that percentage maybe we should shift to dollars. Um, out of yeah, but you just just consider it a percentage. Yeah, you know Perkins, you know I think Perkins has been kind of going this way for a bit. He's kind of been yes. like the Houston Street fifty inning thing, where he's always got to take two weeks off at some point. At least two weeks, yes, because he's had a, a, a variety of maladies, um, ranging from from honestly I can't think of all of them with Glenn Perkins, but I know he's had multiple different injuries, and he was one of the shakier ones. You know when we did the thing about. 
uh, who's the guy that's going to lose their job? I guess nobody said Perkins because it was supposed to be more uh, more studly guys who were going to lose it. Because otherwise, he would have been kind of an easy choice. That he just never really felt certain. And we weren't we're not that far removed from when Glenn, Glenn Perkins was a stud, and it felt great to have Glenn Perkins even as a lefty. You're like, oh man, this guy's a super stud. He's he's been awesome. That was 2013-2014. Then last year, I mean, the K rate has just tumbled since that 2013 season. And to your point, the innings are, are starting to go down too. 70, 63, 61, 57. And only two this year. He's only going to throw two innings all year this year. Wait, I'm you know that? No, I'm no. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is, it's a little ominous. It's a shoulder thing after some other things. I got and... the other things now. Back. I knew there was a back thing in there. Strained yeah. muscle and back. Left elbow inflammation. Left shoulder tendinitis. Strained right oblique. And then what did you say this one was? A shoulder? Yeah, shoulder tendonitis. So, so, I mean, they're all over the place. It's not even just one thing that he needs to get fixed. Glenn Perkins has four or five different injuries here. It's not looking good for him. So this could be a situation where if it's Jepsen or May, they could hang on to the gig. And and we're and saying Jepsen. Jepsen's pretty good, and May is young, and, you know. There's time. Multi-innings things that, you know, May. But And it's not like um, – Let's say Gregerson was coming into the role because Giles was sitting or something. Or, or, no, let's say they had another closer and then Gregerson was coming in and Giles was behind him. That's, you know, that's the May, uh, you know, the, the corollary to, to May and uh, – and, um, Basically, May Jeff- is Strickland right now because yeah. they, they've, got the, they've got the guy. Obviously, now ah, Lucia would right. be the Perkins, but, but uh, he, so, so he's I- out. I wouldn't be as excited about that as if I if Giles is the one taking over, right? Yes. What I'm saying is that, um, you know, uh, like if Romo takes over, Strickland has velocity and strikeout rate on top of uh, on top of Romo. So Strickland has markers to take the job from Romo. In this case, Perkins and May are pretty close, actually. And you mean Jepson and May? Uh, Jepson and May are yeah. pretty close, actually. That's true. So. That's true. Uh, it's not, it might be one of the better situations actually to buy into. Uh, I, I think it could be a sneaky, solid situation. He had, uh, Jepson had 15 saves last year, 233 ERA, 113 whip. He's, yeah. he's kind of vacillated with his strikeouts. I think you were mentioning that earlier, you know, a couple really good seasons with LA. Then last year it was seven and a half. That's not so great, but you know, didn't get when he's on, he's not, easy to hit. He's not easy to square up. He's got some seasons of sub seven hits per nine, and that can definitely play. Now, if he can keep the strikeouts where they're at so far this year, three strikeouts in his two and two thirds gives him a a 10.1 rate. If Jepson can do that, obviously that's huge, but uh, I, I would plan for more of the eight, eight and a half strikeouts and then take anything else you get as gravy. So we're really going for the saves here. He's not one of those potential super studs who also gives you the big case. So let me pin you down on a number for Jepson. What, what kind of budget would you throw at it? I can't go past 22. Okay. I mean, 22%, he'd be one of your five best moves of the year. Yeah, that, that I, that's even higher than I was going to go. So I, I like the aggressive bid there. I was going to say closer uh-huh. to 17 but yeah, I, I think 16, 17 is, is a more restrained bid, probably the better way to go. But, um, you know, you're not you're not going to you don't want. Well, maybe we'll get some news from uh, from Perkins before the end of the week, which will change that number. But that's true. A lot of the assuming you don't, you know, you can't pick them up yet in a lot of leagues. Yeah, that's your like. If, yeah. If you're waiting until Sunday, basically. So 
you know, 17 to 22. If it's if it's tonight, uh, maybe go 17 or 16 because you know Sunday. You know, by between now and Sunday, Perkins would say, "Yeah, it feels fine. I'll be gone for two weeks and I'll be back." Um, or he could, or Jepson could save three games. <laughs> LOL at them winning three games. Um, <laughs> but he could get a couple saves, look like he has it. And there's no timetable on Perkins or something like that. And then all of a sudden, 22 might actually be light. So, yeah, if you can get in early, I say lean closer to the mid-teens. If it's later and we've got a little bit more uh, foundation of on what's going to happen with the Minnesota situation, you start bumping up in those low 20s. I agree with you there. All right, let's move on to our next bit here. Just a small thing, probably nothing to get too crazy over, but Francisco Liriano was scratched with a hammy. You talk about a guy, we, you were saying this for the closers, Perkins and um, uh, who were saying, Houston Street, how they always have something every year. Same with Liriano. This is something that you've got to plan for every year. He He's not a 200-inning pitcher. He never has done it. Um, he's been a buck 61, buck 62, buck 87 the three years with Pittsburgh. But he's so good, and his strikeouts are so good that he, he does enough fantasy value in those 26, 29, and 31 starts. But you just kind of plan for it. He's not going to be your workhorse type. So is this just part of the – plan that that we know is going to keep him from ever getting the 200 innings or are you worried about a strained hammy for um uh francisco liriano i'm always worried about injuries for him you know it's always it's always something you know it's always something that's going to keep him from from 180 or 190 or 200 so um you know it's just part of the part of the game with him yeah, just a quick thing. We just wanted to mention it because he's scratched. That's not actionable right now. You're not cutting him. Well, there's also no. There's also no. I mean, I don't think it's time to you know run and and get glass now. Or no, 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 no. Not not based off of this. Yeah, because so. it could just be. I mean, it's scratched. It's not even DL. So sit tight on that. Now, what about this though? Since since he is a guy. Is it a situation where we talk about with the numbers that you can't wait until it's solidified to make a to make a move? You can't wait till stabilization points to say I'll go pick up this guy. Is it a situation where with prospects maybe you don't wait until it's obvious that they're going to come up and you do take a shot here because then you get glass now for a couple bucks as opposed to oh this uh, hamstring is a bigger deal we're going to put him on the DL. And then and then everyone goes and rushes out to get glass. Now, is this the time that if, if he's on your 10 team or 12 team waiver wire, you can get him cheap? And so maybe you speculate or would he even be the first guy up if no. Liriano had to hit the DL, which I guess is probably even the biggest question. Yeah, I, the Pirates, man, they just they want they want to keep their guys as long. They're you know, they're almost to pitchers what the Cardinals are to to hitters where they they want to bring their pitchers up when they're 25, 26, 27. They don't want to. You know, start that clock too early. They want to have them as long as possible if it works out. So mm-hmm. I almost don't think that we have Glass now in the sixth spot. I think Vogelsong is in the sixth spot. Yeah, that's who's going to take the start, I believe. Maybe you know what? Uh, I, call me crazy. Call me biased. I think they're. I think he's just ducking the Tigers. They own Francisco. <laughs> he's six and ten with a five twenty six ERA against them from his time in the NL Central, and even I believe um, with Pittsburgh they've gotten him because the Tigers and Pittsburgh always play in interleague. So I think he's just ducking. I, th- I think the Hammy's fine, hundred percent. No, I'm kidding. Honestly, um, it's a situation where I'm not making a move or anything. I'm not freaking out because, like, like we said, there's just always going to be missed time with with Liriano. If if you didn't expect that coming in, you kind of did it wrong. So let's move on. Um, I mentioned this. Jeff Samarja 
sharpen Coors because obviously, because everybody had all the Colorado Rockies in their DFS lineup, you know, everyone benched him in their season long. I got tons of tweets and they're like, oh, should I start him? I said, nah, you just can't do it. You can't. And I don't regret that. I don't regret it even a half percent. I do not care. You do not take that risk. Even though he went eight, only gave up two runs. I, I, I don't care. I just don't care. I'm not going to start him there. But you now you look at it, and in Milwaukee, in Colorado, a devastating one-two punch to start your start your season, and he's come out of it. Jeff Samar just come out of it. He's got a 338 ERA, 11 strikeouts and 13 in the third innings. We'd like to see a few more punchies, but uh, otherwise, you know, he's come out of it all right, and he maybe finally gets some starts in uh, AT&T, which is the whole reason that we're interested in him. Where do you currently stand with Jeff Samarja after two starts? I'm still out. Just a hunt flat out. I just really don't like, you know, what what works for him in Coors is what he's been doing and I don't like, which is he's going to the cutter. And, you know, the, the Coors game was one of four times in his career where he's thrown the cutter more than any other. Well, I thought the cutter was the problem last year that he himself yes. cited. It was one of four times in his career that he's thrown the cutter more than any other pitch. Wow. So there have been other times where he's, you know, or thrown the cutter more than 40%. That's the best way to put it. He threw the cutter 40% of the time, 41% of the time in, in Colorado, and he's done that four times. And the cutter, I think, is part of the problem. I do think it's part of the problem. He He's going to it, I think, because it has a better ball rate than his four seam and sinker. So I'm assuming I'm using that as a proxy for, for command. Mm-hmm. So I think he has better command of it. It does get more whiffs than his four-seaman sinker, but it gives up more home runs than his four-seaman sinker. So and, and you know, it's, it's, we're not and seeing a lot of whiffs drives, overall. As much as, as much as you know, line drives are a hard stat to use. You know, he, he gives up the most line drives of any of his pitches on the cutter. And if you look at it, you know, the cutter, the cutter is is a, is a kind of a straight pitch. I was just about to say that uh, that. That's why I wouldn't have wanted to trust it in Coors, especially because any little cut that it does have might even be eliminated. And it can be on a tee there at 90, 92, 93, middle of the plate. Yeah, I think it worked in Coors because sinkers don't sink in Coors. And Mm -hmm. so just by by staying away from the sinker, he was – the cutter, even though it's not a great pitch, was better relatively because of That's a good point. That's fair. It got affected less by Coors. But it just in general going forward, it still means, uh, A, not only is he throwing his worst fastball more and more, you know, but B, I, I don't think that it it relates to velocity loss, but he has had velocity loss. And, you know, it's hard to ignore it, and it's not going away. And the more that he uses the cutter, the more that he exacerbates that velocity loss. Because... Mm-hmm. You know, his sinker now is already down to, you know, 93 instead of averaging 94. And when he goes to the cutter, then he's going, he's more 90, 91. So now you you watch a Jeff Samarja start, you used to see 94, 95, 96 over and over again. Now you're going to see one or two 94s a whole game, and you're mostly going to see 90, 91. And he's not the kind of pitcher that has the command to succeed at 90, 91. No, he's not. That's, that, that, that's true about Jeff Samarja for sure. And why... Has he gone away from the splitter? He's it's not because using that splitter he's not, at all. He's not in the good counts. 
Man, that, that pisses me off because that's the pitch. That's the pitch that made me fall in love with him, to be honest. I really thought kind of spurred Jeff Samarja when you're when you're backing up a uh, mid-90s heat with that mid-80s slider, or excuse me, splitter. I keep saying slider. Right now, he's three fastballs, four seam, sinker, cutter, and slider, and that's it. That There's just not much variety there because the the slider is mid 80s and all the fastballs are low 90s. So what what's the yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'm out as well. And this was a guy yeah, I've it, liked a lot in the past, but the the splitter usage or severe lack thereof has me super bummed on Samarja. Yeah, I think that's really related to where he is in the count. He he's been ahead in, in the count uh, 37% of the time. That's worse than any year except uh, going back to 2013. So basically in his good stretch, he was ahead in the count much more, 41% of the time. So, you know, that means fewer times when he can throw the splitter, which he admitted to me. One of my first interviews was with him, and it was about the splitter, and, and he admitted to me he has no idea where it's going. So, you know, you can't throw a pitch that you have no idea where it's going when you're behind in the count. I mean, you can. You can try. I think that's I think that's the next wrinkle is he's just got to throw the splitter no matter and not care. But that's what you saw with Tim Lincecum. So I think I see, I see a lot of similarities to Tim Lincecum mm-hmm. where the velocity was covering a lot of the issues and he could throw he could throw his 94, 95-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle, basically, with, with if he command. But, you know, knowing that even if they guessed right or even if he missed his spot a little bit at 94, 95, he had a lot more margin for error. Now, you know, especially with the, throwing the cutters at – at 91, 92, you know, he just doesn't have the same margin of error. So, I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, at home, I, I'd call him sort of a half-pitcher type, which I don't think that anybody's really uh, considering that. I would consider him a half-pitcher, which is, means I would start him at home. I'd almost, I'd put him in kind of a tier with Wade Miley and Nate Carnes. And, I think that's fair. I think that's legitimately know, fair. Only home starts right Rasmo, now for him, for Jeff Samarja. You know, if the healthy, if Rasmo Ramirez gets back in the, in the rotation, I, I, you know, he, I'd almost put him a little bit ahead because I, he'd be a little bit more likely to start him on the road. But still, Erasmo, that sort of home, nice park, uh, if he, if he skills uh, tier, that's where I have him. I don't, I don't have him any better than that. I think that that's painfully accurate. It was Samarjo was a guy that I, I really liked. I backed him big time last year. I got back on the train this year because it wasn't expensive to necessarily do so, although only from an advocacy standpoint because I actually wasn't able to really get him anywhere uh, because people were ready to pay that price, and I just had other guys that I liked. So even though I was, I, I'll freely admit in cop to saying, I, I said get back on the, the track this year in uh, AT&T, it didn't, it didn't pan out for me. I have him nowhere. I just looked at my portfolio, got him nowhere, uh, which, by the way, I'll be posting my my port, my yearly portfolio column later this week at, at Rotograph, so check that out. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. 
And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your 20 buck rebate though, all you gotta do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. I wanna talk a little bit about Chris Medlin. He had his debut, uh, you know, he's their fifth starter out there in Kansas City, a pretty solid debut against Houston. Where, where are you with him right now? Because I think Medlin's a guy who, you know, when he pitches, he's pretty much always good. We haven't really seen too much of, of Chris Medlin being bad when, when he pitches, but injuries have, have, you know, kind of ravaged him. I think he has, what, two Tommy Johns? And uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe just the one. But either way, we've seen him be great, that, that amazing uh, finish to, I think, the 2012 season. And then last year was kind of an okay, you know, return from TJ, kind of in and out as a swing man, about a, about a league average sort of guy. How good do you think Chris Medlin can be this year? You know, Medlin's in the sort of Jared Parker tier for me, uh, career-wise, where, you know, I, I've said this before, the correlation between change-up swing and strike rate and overall strikeout rate is weaker than with the other secondary pitches. Okay. So, you know, oh my God. What? I think he made that catch. Did he make that catch? Oh, I'm behind. I'm behind. Uh, off an Ichiro hit here? Who was that? Cespedes? And now is he hurt? I'll tell you in like 10 seconds. Come on, MLB at bat. Show right. me. Show me. Who just jumped into the stands. Oh my God. Uh, and and when, yes, it is Cespedes. That's ho- oh my god! And now he's bent over. He literally I jumped it. He, he dove into the stands. Yeah, and to get a foul somebody. Why did he do this? I have no oh, idea. Oh, I don't think he got it. He did not get it. There's a guy they're, reaching. They're calling people out. And now he's hurt. Now he totally took that guy out. Oh my okay. god, he smashed right, that guy. Anyway, Chris Medlin, so, change up, uh, yeah. change up. What you, now? <laughs> yeah, what you're saying is really radio. No, but what I'm saying is that uh, the 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 changeup uh, is is has a weaker correlation to overall strikeout rate than other pitches. So basically, I think what that suggests is that the changeup is used for weak contact and grounders as much as it is for strikeouts. So mm-hmm. that's why we've seen Chris Medlin have 11% swinging strike rates. 10% swinging strike rates and below average strikeout rates, but at the same time, good ERAs. So, you know, and, 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 and if he, and, and sort of average to better ground ball rates. So he's, he's been a really interesting cat because he's one of these right handers with a great changeup. Yes. And you know, there, there aren't a lot of guys like him. Um, and you know, I think what he's been searching for in order to get more strikeouts is a better pitch, um, a better breaking pitch. And, you know, the curveball that he's he's always had that's curveball. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's it's terrible and loopy from my experience of watching him. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, overall, just a, a slightly above average. But, you know, 78 miles an hour, not hard enough to be one of those 82, 83, like really nice curveballs. So, um, you know, always somewhere between average and above average. There, you know, there are only so many acts in a, in a pitcher's career and or lives if you want to go the cat route. And he's probably on his ninth life, uh, given the fact that he had Tommy John twice. But he did have a wrinkle this last game out, and it's only one game, but he threw a cutter almost more than he'd ever had before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you just if you just look at his career and look at the outcomes on the cutter, they're pretty good. I mean, 12% whips, almost as good as the, the curve. And it's a pitch that goes 87 miles an hour. So it looks completely different from his other pitches. I mean, instead of having great fade and drop like his changeup, it it has no fade, you know. And, you know, traditionally a cutter is used against opposite-handed guys. So, you know, it's a little bit weird to, to use a cutter like this. But it's still, by not having fade, it still becomes a weapon on the outside part of the plate against righties. Because you can throw that cutter out there and they might reach at it thinking it's a sinker and it's going to come back to the plate and instead it stays off the plate or it stays on the outside corner. So, you know, there is there is a way to use that cutter to get whiffs from righties. And, um, you know, sure enough, out of the hunters, you know, what is it, the uh, 156 cutters he's thrown... Uh, 121 of them against have been against righties. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to have this new pitch at this age, have what we know is a great defense behind him. You know, it doesn't even matter if it's fly balls or ground balls. You know, we went out and got three quarters ground balls in that first game. <laughs> yeah. Got a ton of whiffs, strikeouts, you know, was kind of all over the place command-wise. I think it was like a... Um, one of those days where it's almost equal, equal in his uh, ground ball. What was it? No, I guess he must have had more strikeouts. We seven strikeouts against four walks. Uh, not the most normal of Chris Medlin's starts. No, definitely However, not. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Me too. I don't know if it's like mixed level fandom yet. Okay, so not. Because, uh, well, the projections are so boring. I mean, the Zips has 457, 136. The the depth charts 424 ERA, 132 WHIP for Medlin. How how do they get that high? 457, 136. He's, he's never, never done, done that. He never, never never come close to that. On, on... It was rookie season. He had 426, 140, and since then it's it's all threes. Even last, I guess 40. And I guess what happened was it's it's considering his age, and then last year he came out of the bullpen and only had a 401. That's true. Uh, well, he was a swing man. It was half and half. It was eight starts, seven relief appearances. And it was this year back from Tommy John for Medlin. So I'm just, I don't know. I, 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 that's the one I don't, I, I don't trust Zips on that one. I, and not, yeah. not just because it doesn't fit what I like. It just, it doesn't compute for me. I look more at Steamer 391, 128 and say, okay, that's something I'd be comfortable with expecting. And then I think there's a chance for Medlin to beat that. Yeah. And would yeah. you go with Medlin or Samarja? I know this sounds crazy because of where they were drafted, but we just both poo-pooed Samarja. We're not in really on him except as a home starter. Medlin's definitely at least a home starter in Casey. Who, who would you take there? Yeah. Well, see, the sober projections have Samarja having two strikeouts for nine on top of Medlin. So. Yeah, see, that's that's where the difference is. However, however, 
the strikeouts were way down last year because of that stupid cutter for Samarja, and they're not so good so far this year. Seven and a half, seven point four right now. So if it could really could really yeah, iron out those differences, I I don't know. I have a feeling that people who are looking at Medlin don't have to make that decision. That, so that's, that's completely fair. That's completely. I think Medlin's more of a fifteen team mixer. I think you'd be looking at dropping. Uh, let me get my ranks up here. Do you have any names for me? Would you drop Andrew Kashner for him? And I've been an Andrew Kashner backer, so I I ask this from from a spot where maybe I'm a little bit too biased toward him because I see the big strapping dude with the with the power stuff when he's working, but it's just been so bland. So I I, I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss with him right now. But would would you make that move? Would you would you drop Kashner for Medlin? If not, I got a couple more names for you. Well, you know, the nice thing about making that move is that Medlin actually has a plus secondary pitch, which I don't think that we can say about Kashner. No. And though Medlin doesn't have any of the velocity of Kashner, the velocity that Kashner has had hasn't hasn't benefited him at all. So um, let me see where I had I had Kashner in the low 60s. I might actually have I might move him down a little bit, uh, considering his early work, and probably have him in the 70s. Uh, I had Medlin at 81, and I'd move him up into the 70s based on that one start. I mean, it's not I'm not moving him to 71, but you know they probably would meet really close around 75, 74, which okay. is very borderline. You know, mixed league. That's right. That's where. So I, what I would do is, if that was the sort of situation I was looking at, I'd be streaming. Kashner when he's home, Medlin when he's home. Um, who else is down there? Nate Carnes when he's home. Although Nate Carnes might be a step above. His velocity came up. Uh, he gets he the punch outs too. Yeah, uh, but Kyle Gibson is in that range. Kyle Gibson is a hard one to start on the road. So, um, you know, I, I'll throw uh, Kyle Gibson in that mix. Alex Wood. You know, these aren't guys, nobody in that group has said to me, you need to own me all the time. <laughs> what if one and, of them texted you right now? Hey, you know, <laughs> Alex Wood, I met you uh, when I was still with Atlanta. You came in the clubhouse. Dude, you got to get me on your team. That'd be really weird if he did that. But I, I'd respect it. Honestly, I'm not a huge Alex Wood guy in fantasy, but if he texted me personally and said, you got to pick me up, I think I would Go do it. Track. Actually, well, Alex Wood, I could say, well, I got two shares, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you'd be able to text back, hey, man, I'm, I'm already in. Uh, text Spore, man. He's 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 way off of you. He's dogging you out. <laughs> yeah, so um, you'd have to um, you have to, you'd have to reach higher to get a more definitive answer. Jason Hamill. Okay. Ah, uh, damn. You, you, you're tugging at me, man. You know I love Hamill, so you got two guys I like. I'm going to stick with Hamill. Um NL is kind of the decider there, and that that can be a, a tiebreaker at times. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll take the easy way out and just say that NL is that little tiebreaker because team context, they're both on great teams, whether you're talking about potential for Ws, good bullpen uh, support, good defensive support. So I really like the situation for Medlin and Hamill. I just will take Hamill a little bit because I also think his Ks are a little bit more steady. So that one's close, but I'm going to go with Hamill. What about uh, Clay Buckles? We all know who I'm picking, but what about you? Mm. You know, if the most infuriating thing about Buckles is like within one start, you can like you can just monitor my 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 Twitter feed, <laughs> and within one start, it'll be like, looks like Buckles is back, yep. and then like an hour, like you know, an hour later, half hour later, oh god, I can't Buckles. believe it was five earned again. 
he, he, he was three per. That's the thing. He'll go three perfect, not just three good. He's dealing three perfect innings for Clay Buckholz. Not a single scratch on the board, five strikeouts, that kind of stuff. And then boom, implosion. He just, he per exemplifies how difficult pitching is. And we see this with a lot of pitchers. So obviously we're hammering him a little bit, but he is definitely one of the chronic offenders. And part of the reason that I've just never been a fan, because I just don't feel like you can ever trust Clay Buckholz. And so the second you cut him and pick up somebody like Chris Medlin, you can be assured that Buckholz is going to throw two one hitters in Coors and against the Tigers. And then Medlin will probably get hurt. That's what will happen if you make that move. But at the same time, I'd still do it because I, I just, I don't, I never have buckles on a team. So it's purely hypothetical for me. I'm doing, I'm doing it too. Okay. I'm doing it too just because of the heartburn, man. I yes. don't think Medlin is going to give me the same heartburn. I just, yeah, maybe take a little bit lower ceiling just for the stability of not having to um, have your stomach eat itself from, from throw the things around the house. <laughs> exactly. You can't be chucking remotes. You know, if I go, if I buy one more remote, from Clay Buckle's start, I'm, I'm going to be running out of money. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to Mark Trumbo because he's doing his normal super hot start thing. And, and I know that you can never get too hung up on on these sorts of things where uh, the first half, second half, I, I think the numbers have suggested that it's not really bankable. But I think that that's one where it's individual case. It reminds me of the home run derby thing. I don't think you can globally say that the home run derby ruins guys, but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect anybody. Right. I think that there's that split where the second you start saying the stuff about first half, second half or the home run derby, people roll their eyes and say, no, point to the numbers. Globally, it doesn't work. Okay, but case by case. Right. And so we look at it. And on this particular case, Mark Trumbo is a first half guy. He's got an 814 OPS in the first half for his career, 1449 plate appearances and a 709 in the second half. And honestly, he's actually more of a two month guy because it's 843 in April, 902 in May. And then he doesn't get above 750 in any other month the rest of the year. So what is it with the fast starts for Trumbo and then the, the the plummets? And is this a situation where you're looking to sell him now, even in the midst of the hot start? Because if you wait too long, then everyone will, will see him start the uh, cold streak and you won't get anything. Yeah, you know, and, and once again, I, I'm talking about um, swing rights and trying to look at things that become meaningful faster uh, because I think this is – how this might explain this might help explain Trumbo and we've talked about you know guys falling back on natural plate discipline once you know pitchers adjust to them because you know that's the one thing about baseball it's a constant game of adjustments so what's happening right now is he's mashing against uh, against fastballs right and if you just look at his pitch type values which I we don't use a lot but just if you look at them they're they're nuts for fastballs so, you know, he, he's basically being really aggressive. His swing rate is the highest it's been. His, his zone swing rate is the highest it's been. And, he's, and his uh, O swing rate is as low as it's been. However, the reason that we use swing rate early is because it's all pitches. And if you go to O swing and Z swing, you start dicing up the data. You need more data, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So basically what you can say with some certainty is he's being super aggressive right now and spanking fastballs. Well, we also know, or I say I know from talking to him, that he's a bit more of a, a intuitive guy who doesn't like to do a lot of studying. You know, he might be in the AL now and seeing guys he's seen before and knowing what to do uh, and pairing that with an aggressive approach. However, you know, that sort of intuitive approach 
given also his bad reach rates in the past, uh, suggests that what's going to happen is the the book is going to get out there and then people are going to start throwing sliders and fastball counts. And, and Trumbo will be lunging. Yeah, they'll start they'll start and they'll start throwing outside the zone um, in even when they're behind in the count because they know he's aggressive and he's going to want to swing. So even in sort of a one zero count, they'll throw another fastball outside the zone because they say, well, this guy thinks he's mashing fastballs and he's he's you know he's swinging, swinging, swinging. So let's let's get him out there. Let's get him you know like you know move that on that another inch out. Pardon me on so, this because um, as you were talking, I was getting a text that from my friend that was telling me that one of our well, it's his friend, so kind of my acquaintance was the guy who Joanna Cespedes jumped on. So I <laughs> I, I missed a little bit of what you said. Did you mention that Trumbo? is getting a zone percentage that's 10% higher than his career. Why are they giving him so much stuff in the zone well, right now? That, that, that's exactly it. I mean, that's he's being aggressive on fastballs because he's seeing a lot of pitches in the zone. And that's not something you do with a power hitter. Maybe they disrespected him. Maybe they said, you know uh, what? Bad year. Well, let's go yeah, after him. Maybe the power's gone. Maybe he's a 180 ISO guy, which he's been the last two years. Maybe he's just not the same 230, you know, ISO, 30 home run hitting guy. Maybe he's just a little... 20 home run hitting guy and I can and I can get in the zone there and I know he's and, and go for more whiffs because I know he'll strike out so um you know I think m- when you know a couple more home runs they'll say okay all right this is Mark Trumbo uh all I got to do now is 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 paint around the zone and throw him a lot more sliders and junk and and we'll get him back uh to where he is normally I, I, you know, I think we'll see that as well yeah. So, I, and that's probably, it's not, you know, it could be something that plays out yearly. You know, it could be something because if you look at the end of your stats that's, for him, yep. sometimes you're not excited. And so then you say, okay, I'm not really that worried about Mark Trumbo. And then he kills it for the first month and everyone says, hey, we got to worry a little bit about Mark Trumbo. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. If they're if they're kind of looking at that second half or the finish of the season, maybe they faced him in September, a, a particular team, and they're like, "Oh man, we diced him up. Just go after him. He couldn't do anything." Oh God, we forgot about when we faced him in April and he hit three bombs off of us. So <laughs> I think it's the usual hot start for Trumbo. If you've got him, honestly, I would sell him. I think the power will be there. You know, you're, you're gonna get your 25. I think you get 25, and there's still a chance at 30 um, if the hot streaks are good enough, but. In the run- no way a 253 hitter is going to hit much better than 260. That's 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 the thing, and I just I just think that 230 is still very much in play. I'm selling 100, percent and and for me that's one share that I'm already kind of putting putting out there. Not solo. I'm putting. That's the thing with a guy like that. You're not going to sneak up on anybody necessarily, so you're going to have to package it. Uh, it's going to be a situation where you're going to have to include something else because no one one for one is probably going to fall for Trumbo. Particularly, I you know I think our listeners that play in a higher class of league. I'll be arrogant and say that if you're listening to our show, obviously you're playing in dope leagues, um, and so your 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 colleagues there, your your opponents, uh, the guys and gals that you're playing against, they're going to know what's up with Mark Trumbo. So you're not going to sneak one by them. But package him with somebody else, maybe maybe the guy that we're going to talk about in the in the mailbag section, and 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 get something amazing. You know, we'll see. But I would definitely sell on Mark Trumbo. Great start, but it's just not going to last. All right, you know, let's talk about some pitching. And again, this is kind of a a jumping off point, and we'll use it to tie into your omnibus because you did talk about a lot of pitchers who I think uh, you're you're looking at in this way. It it really does fit. And what we're talking about here is. What what can, what can you do early 
when you see a guy who doesn't have much of a track record, you already talked about somebody like Nicasio, uh, you know, with, he doesn't have a whole lot of track record. So we got to kind of look at these two starts and make some, not sweeping judgments, but we got to make judgments. You just can't wait around. And you've made the judgment that eh, you're not really buying it. It's just, it's just a heat and, and, a, and a slider. That's, that's good. Not great. Probably can't break the platoon. But what about on the, on the other side, guys who do have an established track record of excellence who aren't doing so well to start, how do you take things that you notice? And this, I spurred this question off of something that you mentioned the other day that you'd seen about Dallas Keuchel, so I'd actually like to start with him, that you kind of noticed something that was different in approach. After two starts, we can't go out and just start trading Dallas Keuchel for 80 cents on the dollar. But first off, what was the th thing that you noticed with Dallas Keuchel? And then how do you use that information? Is it just a monitor situation? Is it uh, how grim does it have to get before you start to trade? Let, let's talk a bit about this. Let's start with Keuchel and, and dive in here. How, how do we deal with the words that we're not going to say, small sample? Um, how do we deal with them for pitchers as we build up these starts? Yeah, I think it's it's almost like a ranking maybe of – Stats, you know, in a way it, it becomes – so, for example, the first thing I'll look at is velocity because you can look at it in the spring, and it almost doesn't matter who's at the plate or what's going on exactly. or, you know, you can look at velocity. And people say, oh, it's just spring. Well, you know, spring velocities are related to regular season velocities. And if you're talking about a three-mile-an-hour difference, where are they going to get that three miles an hour? You know, they're going to just, you know, inject it in their leg, you know, in the, in the meantime. I think we'd all notice. So – you know, I think what happens is that um, uh, the, the guys that were down three in spring, you know, there was a piece just just on Fangraphs that Zimmerman did about, about uh, you know, cold weather can affect these things. So I do like to look at it over the course of, you know, maybe two starts or maybe spring plus a start or two. That That's that's what I'm looking at. So Mars's velocity was down in the spring. And it's down in the first two. So now I can say... Okay, uh, you know that's bad for Samarja, especially given his command, and I'm going to sell based on that. Uh, so, you know that's that's a that's a number I'll look at really early. Then, you know, on top of that, pitching mix change. So that's when we were talking about Medlin, and maybe I'm going to buy Medlin based on you know this cutter usage, and um, you know if another guy who doesn't oh Brandon Finnegan. You know, uh, he goes out and throws seven straight changeups in a row. Throws a ton of changeups. Everyone's wondering, does he have a changeup? Well, yes, he does. He has a changeup. There it is. So he looked good uh, against the Cubs. It looked really yeah, good. Yes. So, so I think uh, question of how, what stats am I looking at right now? And it goes velocity, and then um, mix. pitching mix. And you know, beyond that, it's a little bit early for everything. I might look at a little bit of swing strike rate because that's that's over pitches. Uh, but command still can get you strikes. Like Kyle Hendricks will never have uh, as good of a swing strike rate as he will a, a strikeout rate, and and it would be hard to penalize you know a guy that did have good command for having a low swing strike rate. So, and, and command is it doesn't really have a number attached to it, and it's something you have to have to watch to to really see. So that's when it starts getting more nebulous. With Keuchel, it was maybe even the next level stuff where. But it was still okay right, to think about right now, I think, because I was saying that he had the lowest zone rate in baseball last year, and then uh, base, the, the batters against him this year are swinging less. Okay, so maybe they're, so, they're changing their approach, too. If he's not going to throw it in the zone, let's spit on some stuff from Keuchel and see if and, we can get to him that way. And here come the walks. Now, walks would be a, a silly thing to look at by itself, 
But when you add walks to this zone thing and a possible adjustment and the fact that he was, you know, him and Liriano basically were outside the zone the most last year. You know, Liriano had the lowest zone percentage in baseball other than Keiko. This is a two. They're one, two. I forget what which, order they are. Which fits with Liriano. But but if you had somebody guess who else was up, no one would say Keiko because we associate him with like command. And you wouldn't yeah. think that command would have such a low zone percentage. So that's really interesting. Well, see, that's where now, so that word came back, command, right? So, you know, with Liriano, I think he gets away with that zone percentage just because his stuff is so nasty. He's so nasty. I, I don't even know, know that he necess- – I think I've said this on the show. I'm not even sure that he necessarily has bad command. I think his stuff is so filthy that I don't know that you can command it all that well, and it, it, but it's still yeah. going to generate those whiffs. But so command is the worst word for us because it's the hardest thing to measure. There's no way to see it really. Um, you know, it's a really tough thing to, for us to deal with, but – you know, I do know that Keuchel, the glove, you know, the catcher's glove moved to uh, the, the the spot that Keuchel hit least uh, in 2014. So in 3-0 counts, you know, the glove moved nine inches on average for Keuchel, and that was best in baseball. Now, that's crazy because it's nine inches. That's still a lot, yeah. but that's best in baseball. So let's give Keuchel one of the best, you know, command abilities in baseball. So what might happen is that the hitter's, swing less and then so Keiko brings that his heat map basically in a little bit and and gets a little bit closer to the zone right any case that probably means more contact means more ground balls and basically in a way goes back to what the projection says and what what I believe which is that he's a really good number two which is you know great ground ball rate not a great strikeout rate so um, I, I think that's what we're going back to I'm reading between tea leaves so I'm not gonna give everyone the the same sort of you know emphatic sell Samarja sell Nicasio I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that for Keuchel because he's still gonna be a really high floor nice number two he just may not have a strikeout rate just I'm just gonna remind ends. people that you know this is why I had him in tier two coming into the season okay. so I think that's fair um, that he was your big guy remember when I asked you I said who of these top twenty guys. Do you have the most concern about maybe not being that fantasy ace? Keiko was your guy. You know, you're know, you you're not tooting your horn after two. I'm tooting your horn for you just because it, <laughs> but, it, it's, it's something that we're seeing. Now, here's the thing. You said this earlier. Baseball is a constant game of adjustments. He could adjust. He could, Keiko could make the move back to adjust. But it's, to, not likely, it's not likely to end up in more strikeouts. Th- I mean, if and that's what I was going to say next. Yeah. If he gets closer to the zone, I think it's going to be more ground balls. So whenever you make a great point, I'm just going to say that's what I was going to say next uh, <laughs> to make myself sound smarter. I actually was going to say that next, but I noticed that I've said that a couple of times this episode, and they're probably like, sports just piggybacking off of everything Eno's been saying today. But no, I swear to God, that's what I was going to say. If he does do that, it's not going to be a spike in strikeouts, most likely for Keuchel. So let's talk on the on the other side. Then outside of a Nicasio um, or Finnegan even more globally or maybe another example like a Velasquez. When is what are you looking for out of these these younger guys specifically? What kind of things are you hoping to see that makes you confident that you can not only if plus you've already had to buy, right? Velasquez not really on the wire in as many leagues anymore, had a nice debut, has a little buzz coming in. So these guys aren't going to be on the wire a whole bit, but in 10 team leagues they still will linger. What do you need to see to go out and buy and think that you, he's more than a streamer for, from certain guys that don't have that track record? Um, 
And I know, you know it, I know it varies. So you can give kind of a ranking thing again, like what are the things that you're looking for in? No, I think I think I think it, it's a, it's largely the same thing, but you know it's hard to use a velocity because you know I mean there, it, velocity is good just across the board, but you know, one of the reasons I like velocity in the in the veteran standpoint is that you have something to compare it to, right? So you you know Degrom, if Degrom was coming up this year and he was 92 and a half, what would you say about the velocity? You would say. You be okay, maybe yeah. I don't know. His other pitches look good, right? Yeah. Uh, but if if he, but you know that he was 95 last year, so then that makes it more worrisome. So when you're talking about a guy who doesn't have the same track record and he's coming up, you don't have that same thing to compare velocity to. What I then start to uh, fall back on is a little bit more of um, pitch mix, like what I said about um, about Brandon Finnegan throwing that changeup seven times in a row. That shows a tremendous amount of confidence in his third pitch. Against and just, a great team, too. Yeah, and, and and just trusting it that much becomes a big deal for me. So, you know, as much as I like Aaron Nola, the one, the one question mark is he hasn't thrown a lot of change-ups. Um, but, uh, you know, I could keep coming back to that Brandon Finnegan uh, start. Uh, I think Velasquez threw enough change-ups for me to, to say that he's, he's, he's believing in it. Um, and um, I'm sort of struggling for for another guy. I mean, Nate Carnes. You know, he's he's not young, young, but he's young enough where you know there was some question mark about what how many strikeouts he's going to get this year and what's he going to look like. He threw his changeup more this uh, this year than he had in the past. So I think that that says good things about him so trusting his changeup. What I'm so. hearing is with the young guys, pitch mix kind of jumps out right away. I want to see because a lot of times they are missing that pitch or that pitch is the third pitch is undeveloped. And that's why they're just this young, intriguing guy, usually with some velocity, like a Vincent Velasquez, like a Brandon Finnegan. And we're waiting to see if they're going to have that, that third pitch that can really kind of get them through the lineup uh, three times regularly. And so I think that that seems to be when, when it's a guy who is uh, doesn't have much track record that you're trying to buy, you're looking at pitch mix when it's a, a guy with more of an established track record who might be wavering a little bit, you're looking at things like velocity and uh, their pitch mix the other way if they're if they're losing pitches. Yeah, it doesn't. You don't always have to go deep into the pitch FX and and talk about movements and stuff. Like that's why I brought up Finnegan's seven changeups. It's just a raw number thing at that point because he's it's a proxy for how good the pitch is. You mm -hmm. kind of you, you're you're seeing that he trusts it a lot. Um, and to me, like, a you know, right around like eight to 10% is when I start to, uh, believe I like to see, uh, them throw, uh, you know, I don't like, you know, Archie Godley, Godley. Zach, you mixed two right there. Zach. I like that. Archie Bradley and Zach no, it's Godley. I wanted to make the point about both guys. Okay. So Zach Godley came up and threw 82%, uh, fastballs and cutters. So, um, that to me was kind of like, oh, he doesn't trust the secondary stuff, you know? And um, Archie Bradley came up and didn't throw a changeup, even though he told me that spring, you know, oh, I, uh, you know, I'm working on that changeup, I've got it. But you know, when he came up, 2.8 percent changeup. When you you're know? standing 60 feet, six inches away from a major league batter, you're yeah. probably going to go to what you trust, and and right. it gives and, you and a good indication. Such a good proxy for how many pitches they have, just the raw number. I mean, yep. you look at Archie Bradley coming up and 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 throwing two two change-ups to start, 
you say, well, he got, I don't think he believes in that pitch. At least he has so, the curve, though. So he, maybe, hey, by the way, we we're looking for a guy who's a fastball curveball guy. That's Archie Bradley right now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the thing that's missing for him is command. I was going to say bad command, though. So that means still the curve can leak over the middle of the plate and turn into or or, stuff, so. or not hit the zone at all and just get spit on all day and you get fourteen yeah. percent walks like he did. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think, and I think that's actually true for a lot of the guys, uh, that we've been talking about, you know, gray and Bassett, all those guys up in, 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 um, in Oakland, those guys have pretty good command, you know? Absolutely. And I think that that's something that I like about Oakland guys. I I think generally speaking, they, they, they like to go toward guys who have some command, hit the zone. What's that? Beans even gone on the record of saying that he says they're, they're healthier and they have they better health outcomes, and they're they're good pitchers to bet on. So. I I I don't blame them. And you got that park to to protect some mistakes. So even if it's a little bit more control than command, but they can hit the zone, they're not going to get themselves beaten by walks. You can you can make a few mistakes in that ballpark and 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 come out clean. So you know we we preach this a lot, but we're always going to continue to watch some games. If you're interested in a guy and you really want to know what's up. Watch the game and just see what you see what kind of feel you get for it because you don't have to be, you know, uh, a, a tenured scout or or a GM to watch a game and kind of get a feel. Sometimes you watch it and you're just like, man, this this doesn't look good, or you know, it jumps out. It's like, wow, you know, like Adam Connolly. I think a lot of folks were watching that game today. It was the only game going, and we got a lot of tweets of people that were like, whoa, you know, he's he's dealing today. It looks good. I'm sure some of them were just looking at the box score, but plenty of them told me they were watching as well. And you could just see his stuff look 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 good and 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 tough today. So, when in doubt, just watch some games. But uh, otherwise, just listen to this podcast and ask us because we do know everything. So don't don't ever forget that either. Let's hit the mailbag. You know, We've got two hey. qu- two questions here. It's been a while. Listen, sleep mailbag sound, mailbag sound. Uh, we need sounds, don't we? We do need some sounds, right? Maybe I maybe I can reach out to some of my what other is podcast mailbag friends. sound. Though it's like it, wait wait I got one. It's like this. I like that. Just the keyboard. Yeah, because mailbag these days are not. No, that wasn't keyboard. That's paper. Oh, that was paper. Excuse me. I thought you were keyboarding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's decent, too. The paper. Uh, I was doing the analog version. <laughs> I thought you were just Jim Rome over there rattling some paper. <laughs> silence. He's like. That's right. This comes in from uh, from John in Seabus. Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Hour-long pause. Anyway, sorry. Yes. Uh, sleeperpod at gmail.com. I'll, I'll cop to falling off on, on on the emails there. When we first started, we were doing them. Then draft season hit, and I, I, just, I just didn't have the time, folks. Get back in there. Get back in that inbox. You guys sent some great questions. I won't always put them on the show, but I will respond to them too. So go ahead. Get that going. Again, we only got – five or six here in April after you guys crushed it in March and sent a ton. And you're probably like, well, this guy's never going to respond. So forget them. No, no, no. We're getting it back in. It's going to be back into a regular situation in the show. And also with me emailing some. So if you got questions, little quick hitters or, or even a little bit more in-depth ones, you can send them along. We got two today. First one's from Alex says, you know, is Noah Syndergaard a top five pitcher now. Alternately, would you trade Max Scherzer for Thor plus a little something? He doesn't describe what a little something is, nor does he give the league context. So please do that in the future, folks. But 
I wanted to talk about Thor. So when I saw this one as a relative, uh, relatively recent question, this actually came before yesterday's start and after oh. that first start. So he probably, Alex probably already thinks he's top five now after seeing him yesterday. And I'm not sure that I blame him, but what do you think? You know, is it a situation where you've seen two starts, you've seen this ridiculous power slider and, and just the stuff and the attitude and the command and the everything out of Syndergaard, have you moved him up? Oh, yeah, of course. And is it top you know, five? Yeah, I had him at 16. Uh, the only thing I would say in my defense is that I did have him in the top tier, so he was a tier one guy. Same, because so, I had him around there as well, but it was top tier. Uh, obviously too low. I'll, I'll admit that. You know, Even after two starts, I'll say that. But I did was still saying he is a fantasy ace for sure. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll protect ourselves that way, even though we were a little bit low on him. How high did you bump him from 16? Well, here's a here's – a, here's a, uh, a thing I'm going to use as proxy because somebody in my in my chat today asked me to name the starting pitchers in baseball that have better stuff than Thor. Okay. And it turned out to be a divisive answer because some people uh, didn't like my answer. Well, let me guess yours first because mm. Jared Weaver's the obvious one. We'll get that one out of the way. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, guys know I had to go for a stupid joke there. No, let me let me try to guess a couple. Um, his 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 opponent last night, Jose Fernandez. You know, I didn't actually put him on there. Okay. Uh, and I think the depth of Arsenal uh, had a little bit of something to do with my answer. That might give you a little bit of a clue. but that Where you favored depth, like uh, Carlos yeah, Carrasco? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did, what, yeah, Carlos Carrasco was up there. Okay. But you know, go over the easy ones first. Oh, Kershaw? Scherzer? Uh-huh. Sale? Yeah. So those, those I think... Are easy an easy three that are above. Okay, so that's those are. I think that I don't think that anybody can really argue because they have more pitches than Thor. You know, Thor does throw the change up sometimes, but he threw like one in the other game. You know, Thor's ninth through down on the slider looks really good, but it doesn't have like otherworldly um, whiff rates on it. You know, that's true. And he does get a lot from his velocity, whereas Max Scherzer has like you know eighty million pitches that are amazing. I love Max yeah. Scherzer. You know, Clayton Kershaw has three pitches that are legitimately great, you know, and has velocity from the left side. And Chris Sale's the same thing. So those guys have more pitches, I think, more great pitches than Thor and aren't suffering that much velocity-wise, especially once you give the lefties a little bit of a bump. So I think that's that's those are easy. and more established. You got to give a little bit of establishment. You got to throw a little something on there for the fact that he's got uh, 163 innings under his belt, and all those guys are well established, well into the hundreds with their uh, with, with their workload. So we, we we can trust that a little bit more. I I, I totally hear that. Fernandez surprises so those, me. Those those are the four sures. I okay. probably just didn't, I just probably derfed on Fernandez. I mean, because I have a then a three probably's okay and three and three maybes, and I would say. Jose Fernandez at least belongs in the probably or maybe. Um, and you you gave me a maybe. That's Carlos Carrasco. Um, you know, so there's four more names that I listed Price? that we there maybe. He was a probably. Okay. Bumgarner? No, I, I did not. I, I, I was on the fence on that one. Um, I think that he's a little bit more of a command guy than I, I agree. I agree. He can, Honestly, there are games where it looks like he's thrown one pitch. And, yeah. and it's like that. It's like the slide ball, like the mixture of a slider fastball type of deal. <laughs> More than a cutter. That's why I called it a slide ball. And he can just throw that all game and it will work. I know he doesn't do that, but sometimes it, no, like it is. He's, just, he's a little bit off, a little bit, high, a little bit up, a little bit down. Yeah. Kind of guy. So, okay, that's fair. Um, what about Garrett Cole? I'm not going to keep guessing everybody, but okay. Okay. you got, you did pretty good. He's a maybe. So the only two probably's I have left are Chris Archer and Steven Strasburg. Yeah. Damn it. I got, Archer I got that in under the bell. 
I think Thor is a, a, like last year's Archer. Yeah, I think that that's a great, great call right there. And Strasburg is, you know, is divisive to everybody. But Strasburg, I think, is a little bit like Scherzer in that he has, you know, change-up, slider, fastball, and all they're really good. And um, so I think that, I, I, you know, of the probablys, I think Chris Archer this year, you know, maybe not as good as Thor. Maybe like Chris Archer last year, yes. David Price this year, maybe not as good as Thor this year. So that's where the line is. I, I think I would probably take Scherzer, Kershaw, Sale, and Strasburg ahead of him. Uh, and if we're going to go back to fantasy now, um, Chris Archer has a really nice home park situation. So does Garrett Cole. So does Carlos Carrasco. But uh, Thor is in the better league mm-hmm. and a decent park himself. And that division is is fire for, for the Mets to, to have so the I'll Braves. Go- What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I'll, I'll go Thor like five or six. Okay. I'll, wow. I'll take, the, I'll take the three. I think Scherzer curse off sale over sale over him. I'm still taking Strasburg over him. Um, <clears throat> you know, you know, Carrasco's interesting. That's an interesting question, but um, you know, Carrasco's not not great natural command, and um, even though he has more pitches than Thor. You didn't start off as well, and you, you know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna count that in on some level. Sure, so. sure, that's fair. That's fair. I just know that you know, like when they're both on, they're pretty they're pretty close there, Carrasco and Syndergaard, in terms of devastation of stuff. Um, I will say, that, you know, this is one thing that I don't want to say the word worries because it doesn't quote unquote worry me, but it's something that I do look at a lot more these days. Thor doesn't have that many speeds to change to. He's the yeah. elite top velocity. That slider is about five miles an hour slower, five, six, seven miles an hour slower. And then that change is it does have the 10 mile an hour split, but you're not getting anything below about 90, really, because he's not really throwing the curve as much. So what what's up with Thor's hammer? Do you think it's it's gone with an 8% usage right now, or is it something that he'll mold back into the picture as we get deeper into the season? You know, given his opponents the first well at least the first one out um you know even the marlins he saw a decent amount last year i think on some level this was hey guys here's my new stuff here's my other stuff yeah (laughs) you know uh i spent all spring working on the slider what do you think so um he has had some form tightness in the past and maybe he is worried that the curve you know, Dan Worthen really espouses the Worthen slider as a healthy pitch. And when you listen to him talk about how it just sits in your hand and you throw it like a fastball and you just twist a little bit at the end and it's not about manipulation, that can make you really drink the Kool-Aid and say, so okay. Not as dangerous as like pitch. Archer's yeah. slider. Yeah, not as dangerous as his own curveball. So, I yeah. mean, that's why he's, he's going to the, the – he's going for feel. And he's saying the fastball feels good. I can throw the fastball hard, and, and it's not going to be so stressful. And, um, you know, if I just do this cutter slider thing, then uh, then I'll be fine. So, Well, he, um, here's the thing. The, the only reason I, I picked this question uh, was so that I could brag about uh, almost throwing a perfect game with, with Syndergaard on MLB The Show yesterday. And guess what happened? The guy bunted in the ninth inning. I'm very angry about that. I was going to lead off the show with that, but I figured that wouldn't go so well. Um, he's a, he's so amazing, Noah Syndergaard is, whether you're talking about the virtual version or the real version, that I'm not surprised that you moved him up that high. I haven't done a re-ranking yet, and I'm going to have to do, obviously, the NLSP tiers coming up for May um, in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be really interesting to see how high he gets. Because I didn't put... 
I didn't put Fernandez in there, and Fernandez looked pretty good, but a little bit more injury risk. But you know, it, it's possible I would only have Thor at six or seven. But I mean, I, I don't I don't see anybody I'm missing. Harvey's you know not look good. Now he's and, been, and the announcers, the the New York not that team. Not great about him, but I'm also not going to rank Harvey ahead of him. You know? Yeah, I, I don't think I and I I was very high on Harvey coming into the year. I had him three in a re rank. I can't put him there right now. I just can't because if I'm going to make moves for Thor on the positive side after a couple starts, I got to be honest about what I'm seeing out of Harvey, and he just doesn't look as sharp as as um, as he has at his peak. And you know the Mets announcers even mentioned they say he's like a little bit off. Nothing that they're panicking about. Uh, that's like, Ron. Darling. It seems like a command issue. He yes. just can't get ahead and counts and, and, and gets and gets stuff. to the good stuff. I completely agree. So I'm not worried about him, but I would definitely um, ha- I'm going to have them flipped right now. I'm going to have Syndergaard and I'm going to have Syndergaard over Harvey when I definitely had it the other way coming into the season. All right, we got I like I like Jake Arrieta just to throw another name that you could maybe throw in there. I like Jake Arrieta a lot, but he's really going to the sinker more and more. And towards uh, sort of a ground ball weak contact philosophy. Do you think it's so, it's to, to be efficient um, and, and and still be able to go deep into games without racking up the pitches because of the um, stamina issue that he had late in the season? Do you think that that's a concerted effort there, or am I reading too much into it? No, you know what? Perhaps he wouldn't admit that to me. I did ask him what's up with the velocity boost last year, and he said, "I'm I'm just getting stronger." And then uh, I also asked him why more sinkers last year, and he said, "Why not throw a pitch that bends?" So, um, you know, that was I guess he answered a question with a question. Eat it, (laughs) jeez. All right, we got we got to go to the next one here. Dave mentions uh, his keeper league situation here surrounding uh, AJ Pollock. Excuse me, not Kyle Schwarber. Keeper league, keep eight forever. It's six by six. Throw in OPS and uh, strikeout to walk ratio. Trade would be Mike Heichel and Pollock for his Jose Fernandez, Jorge Soler, and pick one between Jonathan Scope and Jacoby Ellsbury. This this is fitting, and I didn't even necessarily know that we were going to 100% talk about Keuchel, and we even just did a little something on Fernandez there. So that, that this is fitting with those two guys, plus the fact that you do uh, beat the drum for Soler. What do you think about this trade in a uh, keeper league with 6x6, six six, normal categories, plus OPS, strikeout-to-walk ratio? Again, Keuchel-Pollock for Fernandez and Soler, plus Jonathan Scope or Jacoby Ellsbury. Oh, man. I like it. I think I like it because Jose Fernandez is the best player in the deal. Yes. And then who would you take? Is it scope for you? It's, it's scope for me, but would you take him over Ellsbury or, or would you go to Ellsbury? I would take scope. The problem is about um, – oh, KBB might be a pitcher stat, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 because it's LPS for hitters. So yeah. that, that okay. gives Keiko a yeah. little bit more yeah. juice. Solaire and scope. I was worried for a second that, that Solaire and scope strikeout rates would matter. Yeah, but. that'd be brutal. Yeah, I, I, I'll take the young guys. It basically is the best player in the deal plus two lotto tickets for the middle two players in the deal. And, and so what you're just hoping for is that one of those lotto tickets clicks. It doesn't even have to get all the way to Pollock because you get a full year of value that you don't get out of Pollock. Exactly. exactly. So oh, I love you, this deal. If you if either Soler or Scope can get to 75% of Pollock or 60% of Pollock, that's better because you're only getting 50% of Pollock over the next two years probably. So, um, you know, as long as Soler and Scope are better than half of Pollock, then you win with that with that deal. So, Yeah, we like yeah, that one, I, Dave. I, I, jump, jump on that one, Dave. Um, you know, <laughs> he's like, 
Yeah, thanks. I sent you that email three weeks ago. No, no, this one was one of the recent ones. I I, I made sure not to get something from March asking a guy, hey, man, I just drafted Schwarber and Pollock, and I think my team's going to win the league this year. Um, I traded Jonathan Lucroy because I obviously don't need that other catcher. What do you guys think? No, I I didn't put any of those old ones in there. So, again, sleeperpod at gmail.com. Please fill up the inbox again. I really appreciate that y'all did it before, and I slacked on it. I own that, but it won't happen again. All right, Eno, we got to get out of here. You got to catch a nap. I got to get some food. No softball tonight because we had a big rainstorm. So no Evan Gaddis. Um, when when aren't you are you not hooping today? You're taking a nap. So what's what's up with hooping? Yeah, I just I got a little bit of a cough, and then last night was just terrible with the kids. So I'm not gonna uh, I'm gonna miss my game today. Don't, don't go out there at forty percent. We need we need you rested for the for the uh, rested <laughs> playoffs. We need. Well, I'd say it's my my uh, three year old's uh, fourth birthday this weekend. Oh, and happy birthday! We're gonna, uh, I'm gonna That's be running Felix. around after kids. Yeah, Felix is the King. Felix is gonna be four, and he's gonna be running around at some venue on Saturday, and then we're gonna have all sorts of family and friends over Sunday. So I just didn't want to, you know, drop exacerbate yourself uh, sickness. Uh, yeah, no, that makes that makes that's so. that's thinking ahead. I like it. The smart thing instead of the fun thing. I'll actually be in Boston, uh, hanging out, talking some DFS. I'll be at a D- DFS boot camp, and then we're gonna catch a game at Fenway, which I'm super psyched about. Never been to Fenway. Never been to Boston. Of course, the weather sucks over there right now. I'm going to be trading 30 degrees, at least 20 degrees on most days. And so you guys know that that annoys me. But can't wait. Can't really argue or, or complain about getting getting to take a trip. It should be a lot of fun. Um, I will I will be back in time to podcast with Jason. So don't worry about that. It shouldn't alter the schedule. And then, you know, you and I will be back on Monday. Till then, get yourself well, and we'll talk later. Yes, yes, yes. Thanks for listening.